0: It's a Carson Price for Thursday, June 22nd, 2023, coming to you from the Go Go Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee, and that's here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're out by the airport, check out the Weston Wall Center YBR and those plush heavenly beds. Nancy Carrison alongside Blake Price. Actually, that is Grady Sass hidden switches, conducting things. Big show coming up for you, including today's Bodog poll question. And boy, is this a polarizing one in the early voting. Are you OK with the Canucks surrendering assets to trade up from number 11 in next week's draft? Yes or no? You can vote at Secure some Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. And Bodog hockey specials tab where you can Bet on players and where they may wind up after this NHL offseason. Alex Debrinkit firmly on the trade block in Ottawa. Dregs has mentioned Dallas and Detroit as potential destinations there. Where will he play his first game in 23-24? Plus 325 on Detroit, plus 750 on Dallas on your Bodog line of the day. How you feeling after last night? I know it was uh, the... Toughest shift of your media career, twenty five years in, Blake Price.
1: It most certainly was not the toughest shift of my media career. I've uh, I've pulled the all nighters before, so it wasn't that. Oh. It was. It was. I thought you were going to
0: say every shift with me has been tougher than. That's
1: a, that's a good line too. I wish I had that in my back pocket. No, uh, it was. Uh, it was uh, frustrating because everybody and their dog knew that that match was not going to be played, but the MLS, of course, wanting to hold out hope against all hope and. The thing is, we have the science, Matt. Uh,
0: We (laughs) We have this radar thing, We have the
1: Doppler radar uh, that completely tells you where the (laughs) systems are. It was what they call in the weather biz a supercell over Denver. A Uh, supercell. Hail. Hail the size of golf balls. Um, Red Rocks concert goers were pelted, uh, like hospitalizations, I think, because of how bad it was. And MLS is like, no, 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 just wait a little bit longer here.
0: I think we're going to play some uh, world class soccer here in a second.
1: Um it, it was uh it was unbelievable. There was no What chance. time
0: did they eventually uh postpone it? Wait, like, uh, what time well, was
1: local it? time? I started, uh for us it was, you know, 10:35ish, 10:40ish, so, you know,
0: near midnight. Near midnight. Uh in Denver, if you yeah. missed it, uh the Caps and Rapids did not get on the pitch and we're still a few days away from them. Uh, figuring out when they're going to reschedule this MLS regular season match. And Blake and Colin Miller tap danced for two and a half hours last night on AM 730 on the radio call. Kind of reminded me of way back in the day, Joey Kenward, Peter Shad tap dancing from yeah. Toronto in that Canadian championship uh, at BMO Field, which was started, abandoned. You remember they took the Caps goal off the board and started Re-started the game. The whole match, yeah. Absolutely. After hours upon hours of weather delay. In Toronto. All right. On today's Bodog poll question, Blake, I voted no. I just don't think they have the depth of asset uh, to move up from number 11 in next week's draft. I'm of two minds on what Alvine messaged yesterday. Number one, as we always say around drafts, it's lying season. You'll get a lot of misinformation. It is targeted. It is messaged to the other managers and is designed to help improve leverage on any kind of trade scenario so we've heard a lot about the Canucks maybe looking to move back from 11 maybe that's a way of getting out of a contract although not as urgent after the OEL buyout I do wonder whether Alvin is messaging to those teams going oh there's guys we really like we may even move up so the price on number 11 the second part of me wonders if they're just so hell bent on a defenseman and a particular defenseman and feel like David Reinbacher, for example, is not going to be there at 11 and is worth trading up for, or even the local product, Zach Benson, the the uh, forward with the Winnipeg Ice, if they're just so enamored with him that they feel like they need to explore trade-up possibilities. But you tell me, what did you vote, and how did you how did you perceive that message from Alvin yesterday? To me,
1: it's no. Um, I, same reasons as you. I mean, I, I don't imagine that there's any number of, Like prospects that people would take. Um, There's only roster players that people would take. And and even then, to move up, you know, five, six spots, like, what's that going to cost?
0: I'm not, boy, I mean, five, six, I I was thinking more along lines of three. Um, Would you trade Vasily Puck-Colson and move up three spots or four spots? 'Cause I think that's probably what you're looking at. And that's you, you think if that the team that's if the team believes that Vasily is gonna be that's a player going forward. Because let's thing. face it, last year wasn't very good. I don't think that does it. Like
1: the, no. the Ratus, um, the Pod Colsons, heck Matt, even Lekaramaki. Like I, I don't know how far up the draft board you get with Lekaramaki, and wow. and the and the eleventh pick. I, I mean these all are right. not plug and play, tried and true blue chip prospects. These are all like meh, Okay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like there's something there, prospects. That, that doesn't make you vault up to into the top six, top seven uh, of the NHL draft. So I, I literally don't think they have it outside of trading a crazy roster player, and that would be overpaying.
0: Um, I, I don't know who does this. More on that draft pick coming up here, and welcome, Matt. Let's get to yesterday's Bodog poll question. Which defenseman should the Canucks target in a trade? We listed Samuel Gerard, Noah Hannafin, Colton Pareko, Brett Pesci. Blake, who won the poll? Um, Noah Hannafin. Pesci. Pesci did. Pesci got 36% of the vote. And I get it. He is a perfect fit for Quinn Hughes as a right side pure defender penalty killer. Gerard got 29% of the vote. He was my choice. Got a lot of flack from it on Twitter. What I liked about Gerard, the youngest of the lot, the most versatile, being able to play both sides, cost controlled, $5 million for the next four years. Plus, you're getting theoretically his best years. Pesci's got one more year, and then you got to resign him as a UFA. There'll be a big ass there. The same goes with Hannafin, who got 18% of the vote. And Pareco's under contract through 2030, got 17% of the vote. Lots of terrific feedback here in the comments. Robert says, Gerard fit best fit. Define money plays either side. So Otto says, whichever is on a one year deal that we could trade at the deadline. For more than we paid, uh, I'm not sure you're gonna get more than what you paid. But it is an interesting shout, Blake, that if you were to trade for Hannafin or Pesci, and things didn't go your way as you perceived this coming season, you're not a playoff club at the deadline. You could flip and recoup, perhaps most of what you gave up for them. Yeah, a uh, big risk of injury and all sure. that. Like it's
1: uh, that's 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 a fool's errand, I think.
0: Cole says Pesci would look really good with Hughes. Gerard would be good on the second power play, but Haronik will be there. So there's no point in overpaying him. Hannafin would look good, but again, you're overpaying for him. And then many went off the board. Norm says Susie or Mayfield. And Thomas said I'd much rather bulk buy from cash strap teams that either and either gather assets and improve simultaneously or at least limit the acquisition cost. And he mentioned Derek Forbert, Mike Riley, Cody Cece, and I don't think this is, dare I suggest Chris Taniff. I mean, Forbert and Cece and Taniff are gonna cost you something. Uh, I don't think those are salary dumps.
1: No, but Forbert uh, is not, uh, he's forbert's like a two point seven five million dollar player. I mean, he's not gonna yeah. cost you Sun, Moon, and Stars. I think Forbert is a is a is a good option here. Lower mm-hmm. cost guy that can eat up some minutes. I, I think Forbert's a good
0: shot. All right. Uh Patrick Alvine met with the media yesterday, covered a broad range of topics. We're gonna hit on many of them here. Uh, but first, let's hear from him that he he knows the work is not yet done, particularly on defense.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt that there is there is a lot of work to be done here in order for us to get better. Uh, we're well aware of that, and uh, uh, we're uh, we've been uh, digging in and, and checking in uh, what's available around the league and uh, being part of uh, you know for for myself being part of discussions that goes around here.
0: So. He went on to say that he considers Quinn and, and Hughes and Phil Peronick elite defensemen, and he's looking to give the coaches reliable partners for each of them, so that's a left-side guy and a right-side guy, who can kill penalties. On the surface, Blake, it doesn't sound like they are necessarily going to go big-game hunting here with some of the defense uh, available on the trade market that we just discussed, but I'll, I'll say two things because, of course— Alvin indicated there wasn't going to be a buyout, and then sure enough, Mm -hmm. there was. I think there's two things that could possibly change that. Number one, that you just feel like there's a deal you can't afford to say no to on one of these bigger-name defensemen. There's so many of them available on the trade market that maybe you get a price that you feel you can't turn down. And then secondly, Blake, is the owner. You know he loves marquee value. You know he loves some of the big names. Does ownership get involved and say no, 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 no? Summer where Eric Carlson and Noah Hannifin and Pesci and Pareko and Grizzlick and others Gerard are available. Let's go out and make sure we land some of one of those guys and get our fans excited. Thoughts? Yeah,
1: I I think uh, I could see going down that path. It's hard to take a, a GM seriously, and I'm not saying he's lying, but it's just you know he's got to coach everything at this point. Um, whatever he says is is maybe the fifty one percent intention, but you know, everything is changeable. I I don't know that you necessarily put any of this in any semblance of stone and, um, you know, they're, they're going to go to whatever situation gets them a little bit better. Um, and and, you know, for some people that's going to be the biggest relief to hear that they intend on being better next year. Um, and, and the good news is because of those salary caps coming up in years three and four of the buyout, I don't know that they can spend stupidly here. Like they, they they're they going to have to be wary about what that cap hit does to them in years three and four. So um, they're going to have to be smart. And I'm not thinking it's going to be easy here, Matt, to be better. Um, they're going to have to continue to be creative. Think outside the box and, um, and take some risks, but not in terms of the salary cap, maybe take some risks on, okay, we think this low price guy can step up, not necessarily a Dakota Joshua level of gamble, but something along those lines, maybe a guy with a little bit more resume than a Dakota Joshua, but say this guy is, yeah. is ready to be better at this
0: position. I saw our friend Thomas Drance listed Alec Martinez as his top trade target for the Canucks, and I get where he's going there. Vegas is trying to rid themselves of money. The Canucks now have cap space. It's a one-year deal, so it might even be a situation where they're paying you to take, take on the player. Nate Schmidt-like uh, deal, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's got Grizzlick and Forbert and CC on that list as well amongst the defensemen, as well as Luke Shannon, Carson Susie, who we have talked about earlier this week. Um, let's move on. On Elias Petterson. he called him one of the top 10 to 15 players in the league, and then went on to say the good thing there is there's no rush. We still have his rights for another two years. That is true, and it may well be the case that Elias wants to take some more time. We remember the comment from a couple of summers ago that he wants to play for a contender. So he may want to wait things out a little more here and see how this offseason goes and maybe even see how next season goes before beginning in earnest. But I sure hope if Elias is eager to sign this summer that the Vancouver Canucks make him their top priority because he has been down the queue far too often in this organization, when it comes to priority of an extension on that contract, particularly when you look at some of the players that they prioritized ahead of him
1: I don't love him invoking the two years though either, like the two years is you know by the letter of the law c b
0: a through a restricted free agent.
1: You know, you know,
0: that's with a qualifying offer that walks him into unrestricted free agency. So there's little chance of that. It's like nuclear
1: option kind of two years. So I don't I don't love that, that he's sort of invoking that uh, right away. Like I would think about it in terms of a general manager being we've got over a year. We got 14 months here to get an extension done. Um, That should be your internal deadline. I don't think anybody should be leaning on a qualifying offer because that just does not end end well for anybody. Um, so I, I think that's where his priority should lie. And I think we've seen, um, Bo Horvat's reaction perhaps is it's been reported and rumored that, you know, none too pleased with the priority of JT Miller show some priority this time. Yes. Give this guy his money. Uh, You know, we're going to assume that it's a fair negotiation that at least is not asking for 13 million a year, but Mm -hmm. uh, assuming things are, are relatively reasonable, get it done now get a sooner rather than
0: later. An interesting comment here on Brock Besser and I think look this is basically they're at a breaking point with Besser but also that you know they have shopped him and Blaracus shopped himself. He talked about how Besser improved under Tocket and then went on to say he's at an age that he needed a significant change in the summer and he's committed to it. It sounds like Rick Tockett has gotten into Brock Besser's grill and basically said, "Look son, if you don't improve your mobility going forward here, you're not going to have a role with this hockey club. I don't know what you have been doing in the summer, but this summer needs to be a marked change from what you have been doing. Uh, they basically threw the gauntlet at Besser's feet. Mm-hmm. And, and we brought up the Vol Horvath comparison there before
1: about getting faster uh, at an older age. And and the key thing to focus on there is you know, when you do it right, but Horvath didn't get slower like it wasn't a one-year peak of oh he looked faster because he was in better shape it's not necessarily about being in better shape uh, or being lighter or stronger with the, your legs the, the technique alone can sometimes help this like Bo Horvath didn't get slower he got that newfound speed and for as long as he was a Canuck from their point from that point forward he remained fast not not blistering fast but he was fast he could he could beat guys wide um, imagine just Dare to dream of that transformation for Brock
0: Besser? Yes, I mean that becomes a like a wor- well, it gets back to being a goal scorer, Blake, because yeah. I yeah. think he gets to the areas where he can use that shot uh, a whole lot better it as well. It's a as, huge asset too. He probably becomes a better two-way player as well. Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, it, it, if there's one thing on the Canucks' wish list, on my Canucks' wish list for training camp, is reports that Brock Besser looks in better shape and is skating faster. If you hear those two things coming out of Canucks training camp, then there's still a chance that he might earn that 6.6 million uh, on this contract. Another interesting comment from Alvin on Tyler Myers. He says he does expect him to be a part of a team as we've discussed, because that bonus is structured on September 15th. That's a very awkward time to trade a player. So I think they're counting on him being here. And I think they're further counting on him being here because they just traded out a guy. or or bought out a guy who played top four minutes for them last year. He talked about how Adam foot and Sergey Gonchar are working with Myers for quote, a better understanding of where the puck was going to go. We, you know, have fun with the chaos draft thing and why is Myers going to that guy? Where's Myers, you know, what's he looking at? What's he thinking? I wonder whether some of the sort of loose structure of Boudreaux adversely affected him. Blake and he got a little too much into wandering in his own zone and they're trying to get him a little bit more structured and systematic in the way he plays his own, yeah, his own zone.
1: Good. I think that's exactly it. This was a loose and fun offensive team. Um, and everybody got into it. And remember that's been Tyler Myers calling card at times in his career where he would jump up into the rush, use that straight ahead speed that he has and that strength and he would be a part of the offense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And maybe the wish to continue that here late in his career had uh, bitten him in the butt a little bit too much. So, um, I mean, it would be interesting to see. I was talking about player transformations. Is it possible to see Tyler Myers as a stay-at-home defensive defenseman?
0: Well, he kind of was that a couple of years ago, uh, Blake. Uh, And, yes, uh, partly under Travis Green, partly under Bruce Boudreaux. He looked like he was transforming himself into that player that – Okay, I skate pretty well. I have pretty good hands given my side. I have been an offensive defenseman, but now I gotta dial it back and take care of my own zone because I'm not quite what I used to be. And and perhaps more importantly, the league has gotten a whole lot better with that profile of defenseman, right? So everybody, every team now has uh, you know several defensemen that are good with the puck and rush the puck, get involved offensively, and in that he felt his role was more on the defensive. On the defensive end of things, we shall see. We shall also see whether Ethan Bear is going to be a member of this club going forward. Alvin says, continued discussions with his camp, but he and his staff are looking at all the options. Blake, I, I, I do think we were on to something when he came out of that World Championships with the injury. And now we know shoulder surgery and we'll be out. Likely until December of this season. I think they are contemplating not qualifying him and taking the two two and a half million that they would have had earmarked for him, deploying it elsewhere, or really squeezing the guy and hoping you get him on a team-friendly contract.
1: Yeah, I think both of those are are stronger options. Um, and folks don't think that that two point two in space gets added to what they created with Oliver Ekman-Larsen, Rec that is Yeah. That's that, not
0: showing right now as an RFA. Right yes.
1: So as much as you want to believe, oh my God, 2.2 in space now. No, no, no. <laughs> it, 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 I understand why that's exciting. But um, yes. um you're But you're right. you do have to replace the player. Uh, you do have and to the replace minutes the player. Yeah. So you know, is it Ethan Baer and Derek Forbert? You know, you know mm-hmm. those sorts of things you have to weigh in. That almost takes up all the space they have. Like put it yep. you know put that through your head here. If they qualify him at 2.2 and then acquire a guy like a Derek Forbert in the trade, they're almost done with their space. There would be like a million and a half left. Like They're almost done. So it's nice to have the space, but they don't have scads of it. They're not one of those teams mm-hmm. that's 15 million in space that can do whatever the hell they want.
3: And that's why it doesn't make sense for them to target a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, right? You got to no. find value at three C, someone mm-hmm. that isn't going to break the bank,
1: unless you're going to create more space. But right. they've, made, they've made sort of, yeah. and he played that down, Patrick Alvin yesterday. I'm not in the business of making space. I mean, this is getting better. But, I mean, that's also a bit of semantics because you create the space so that you can get a player that makes you better. So one begets the other. But
0: Well, and some of that space I think many would have thought would be earmarked by Tanner Pearson going on LTIR. Yeah. Now, look, Dolly Wall told us on Friday he said he still – Tanner Pearson still didn't know whether he is going to be well enough to play. So unless something principally changed here – I would suspect that when Alvin says his hand is healing and he's preparing to be ready for camp, preparing to be ready, I think, is the operative word right. there. Uh, I, I think he's just sort of, I think he's messaging for Tanner Pearson there.
2: Well, also- I, I
0: think he's trying to float Tanner's spirits and his summer in what is bound to be a recovery unlike any other to see if he's good to go. Come well, September, it's
1: that Matt, or it's playing down any liability side of things. That oh, it's, it, it's uh, all uh, all well. You know, it, it, it's going to end well. The story will end well. Don't worry, he's he'll.
0: You know, mm-hmm. it's it's looking good for him to play. Just sort of playing down, sort of uh, where where yep. it's been really. Ilya McCaff going to begin skating on August first, according to Alvin, and that's sort of right on schedule. That gives him six, seven weeks or so before he has to get on the ice in training camp. I suspect that's enough time coming back from the torn ACL and the knee injury. <coughs> Excuse me, that kept him out from February onwards. Okay, we'll move on. BC Lions in Winnipeg tonight for that 2-0 undefeated Top of the West showdown. Discuss the game tomorrow on the show, but Jeff Patterson will be sitting in for me, so the two of you guys can unpack the Leos and see if they're 3-0 or if they're 2-1 and still not yet at the Winnipeg level. They are the barometer in the CFL's West. Let's get to the golf report. It's brought to you by the Arnold Palmer design Whistler golf club. We've got our contest going up, going on up at Instagram chance to win a round for four, two carts, $800 value play this season at the Whistler golf club. And if you've got a group of 12 or more, you, the organizer plays for free, the Whistler golf club going to take care of all the details. Make sure you have a fantastic golf outing. Whistlergolf.com forward slash groups. Um, the PGA has placed a copyright on a clip from the Travelers this morning, Blake, where Justin Thomas, two-time PGA champion, was caught saying, "The guy meeting Wyndham Clark, who he's in the same group with, wins one F in U.S. Open, and I got a it from 80 yards out." Apparently, Thomas was asked to mark his ball with Clark in. In wedge range, to which Clark apparently replied, he said that? Well, that's one more in U.S. Open than he has. So um, good barbs, good repartee on the golf course. I don't know how much of this is jocular, Blake, and how much of this was uh, seriously pissed off. Um, here's what I can say. More of this, please, going forward as we redefine professional golf, men's professional golf, what it looks like. And sounds like, and on the marking of the ball, Blake. And I will let the tour pros decide. I know they're very, very precise. You know, from what distance is appropriate to ask a guy to mark his ball. But can we get this as the PGA tour reformulates here and recasts? New rule if you're two feet and in, just putt it out. Please don't mark it, pick up the ball. Let your playing a uh, let let one of your playing partners putt, and then go back replace the ball go through your routine on a two foot putt. The game is slow enough as it is. There were a lot of fans in L.A. that were getting on Bryson DeChambeau for the amount of time that he takes. Clark's not a fast player either. Got some other guys at the top of the board. Patrick Cantley would be one. Very very deliberate. The one thing holding golf back in the attention span economy is slow play. I'd love to see. Whether it's Jay Monahan or whomever is going to be running the PGA tour going forward, basically institute a rule that says if you're two feet in, in- you are forced to put it out right there and then, and then we'll move on to the next guy, and we'll move things along a little quicker, particularly on the television side of the yeah, tournament.
1: Yeah, I, for sure. I, I think you should be forced to put out as well. But I, uh,
0: It's getting endemic, Blake. Like yeah. every single one of them now is marking from two feet picking up the ball, and you're like, you got to be kidding me. Like at your level, you're making 99.8% of those putts. Please don't tell me you need to pick it up, go through your routine again, and delay more time. Yeah, it's
1: uh, it's interesting though this tactic here uh, by employing the copyright strike, which the PGA Tour rarely does. I've in fact I've never seen this from them. Um, they're basically just trying to pretend that it didn't happen. There's no story, and if you even do a Twitter search on it, it really doesn't exist except for a couple little yes. places. Uh, and I, I don't mean the clip. The clip does not exist. But even talk about the incident. Is pretty rare right now on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, they've they've succeeded. They, they you know, a, ne- a negative light was shot on a player, and they were like, "End it, end it now," or maybe and- two players. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Happy hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits and the Penticton V Season, well underway, means it's time to visit the neighborhood watch. It's a vendor experience at the South Okanagan Event Center. Enjoy your favorite neighborhood beers. While attending any event or a Penticton V's game. And Blake and I have been there several times. Fantastic vantage point. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a yellow dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by De Dutch, the Dutch BC's Best Breakfast. When you think breakfast in British Columbia, you think the Dutch will be joined by Frankie Corrado. We go through a ton of tonight, well, purely Canucks talk topics with Frankie Corrado today. The OEL bio trading up, Bear, Besser, Myers as well as the defensemen that are available. And he goes on the free agent market. There's a couple of interesting names that Frank drops us there. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter. Lots of Hall of Fame there. The Hockey Hall of Fame, Canada basketball with its class announced yesterday. And uh, Rob Williams, Rob the hockey guy on the missing scoreboard at Rogers. His hot take on the Hockey Hall of Fame and some changes uh, to the Canucks in-house media and reporting. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I
1: think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at
0: applewood.ca. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious, probably not, but I do know it was another WTF moment. My question of ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. No scripted. Welcome, Matt. Today, we wanted to play a few more clips from Patrick Alvine and discuss this notion of trading up in the draft from number 11. So first, here's the Canucks general manager with uh, his comments yesterday about a lot of action on the 11th overall pick.
2: Well, I, I think our scouting staff has prepared uh, really well for the whole year, and, and they're really excited about number 11. Um, again, i trying to be part of uh, discussions uh, that, uh you know if we're gonna do anything uh, that makes us uh, uh, or team better uh, I'm just not looking to uh, just do a trade for purpose of doing a trade but um, there's you know there is a lot of uh, calls uh, regarding pick number eleven and and I'm looking at uh, options if we're gonna trade up uh, if, if that's if that's something we, we have a chance to do uh, to get a player that the scouting staff has identified to be uh, Uh, a more intriguing player than the one we're going to get at 11.
0: Just the way he stuttered up to and measured his words before he dropped the trading up part, Blake, is what makes me believe that this could be smokescreen. Uh, And yet, if you told me they so covet Ryan or Wielander or maybe even the wild card in this draft, the big Russian Dmitry Simashev, who's 6'4", 200 and skates like the wind, if you told me they covered one of those guys, I I could also see that as well. Now I think you probably get one of those guys at eleven. That's what I was going to say. But they may know better. And let's remember, Marit Sider went a lot higher than people thought, and Detroit getting incredible production from him at a young age last year. Kevin Korchinski, the Seattle defenseman, big mobile guy, went a lot higher than people expected at number seven of the Chicago Blackhawks. So you wonder whether the big mobile defenseman and that would be Simashev uh, is floating up draft boards around the league and is higher up those draft boards than some of the public boards that you'll find online from scouting services.
1: Yeah, I uh, I wonder how we've got here, uh, to be honest, because this was supposed to be the draft where no defenseman were going to the top 14. And now, <laughs> Very right. Everybody's reaching for for these defensemen. Um, I I. You Know if there's a dropper, like and now all of a sudden Reinbacher's a dropper. But you know, if they see something a pick or two ahead of them, maybe they lay some groundwork, um, to make a trade there. I don't see a big jump though, like, I, I just don't think they've got the assets to make a big jump up to a five or six spot. Um, I think they, you're probably right. Can they jump to nine or ten?
0: Maybe let's hear from Alvine on the defensemen who intrigue in the draft. There's a clue here.
2: I think there is a, a couple of uh, defensemen based on the information I have from my scouting staff and, and based on, on my views uh, that are uh, potential to be a really good uh, defenseman there.
0: So, a couple of defensemen. Is that Backer and Wielander? Have they excluded Sandine Pelika? Pelika, sorry. Pelika, you right. Oh, Pelika? Simashev? Mm. Or, and again, it's lying in smokescreen season is it really four defensemen? And he just says two. Interesting.
1: Because it, if it's four, you come out of the draft, you probably got one of them in your back pocket and you say, For yeah, sure. he, he was one of those two.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, pick 11, we've heard about trading down. Nashville at 15 with a ton of picks. Chicago at 19 looking to move up. And, and frankly, there's some other teams in that vicinity, uh, Blake, in the teens that also are either awash in picks or are looking to sort of take the next step as a club. I'm talking about Buffalo at number 13, Detroit that has three second rounders in succession at number 17, maybe even Seattle at 20, Minnesota at 21 who have some bonus picks and prospect capital. Here's Alvin talking about where he feels the draw- the draft drops off, where he thinks the talent gets pretty similar in its rating
2: i I would think that's uh, uh percentage wise is probably uh higher higher how much significant higher i think the drop down is probably uh not as much as after fifteen uh But I was told by uh, uh, former GM, Brian Burke, that you can always move up in the draft.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that could also be messaging to uh, potential trade partners, Blake. Right. Oh, we feel the value at 11 is tremendous. Mm -hmm. You know, 15, once we get to 15, 15 to 19, that's where the drop off is. So if you need me to move down there, I'm going to need a whole lot for you to move up to 11.
1: Yeah, it, it, it very well could be. My stuff is is still good, but your stuff's not so great. So you <laughs> you owe me lots. Uh, to, Absolutely. To get my stuff. So, um, one thing I'll say though about all of this, he's learning how to media, uh, Patrick Alvin. Yep. Yeah, you a know, little bit. Yep. He's uh, way more verbose. He's able to crack a smile. Um,
0: you know, he occasionally gives you some meaningful sort of you know. Some meaningful stuff in the answer that you can chew on.
1: Yeah, and and whether it's smokescreen or not, um, it's, still, it's still something. It, yeah. it, it's not necessarily cliche-ridden.
0: Um, right. He's starting to get it. It's not hollow. It's not no. hollow anymore. No. Uh, lastly, he did talk about how they absolutely have to find players outside of the first round. Of Blake, as we well know, they're without a second round pick this year. They're because of the Ronick deal. They're also without a second round pick next year because of the Jason Dickinson deal. Mm-hmm. They do have two thirds. They do have three fourths this year. And Blake, the Hockey News Draft Preview magazine does a study of the drafts from two thousand and five through two thousand and twenty-two. Thirty teams here because we exclude Seattle and Vegas. Vancouver has had eighty-six picks from the second round beyond. Over those drafts, I think nine teams had fewer than them. The Canucks have four players who have played more than 100 NHL games. Their success rate is 4.7%, and that rat- ranks dead last, 30th in the National Hockey wow. League from rounds two onwards make the 2005 and 2022 drafts. You can make the
1: argument that, it is the, that is the biggest reason that they find themselves yep. where they are.
0: That's going to serve as the welcome ad for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email live at Price.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter, at Matt Sicaris at Sacarrison Price. And the welcome ad, a presentation of Northlands Golf Course, Metro Vancouver's premier public golf course. You can book your tee time 90 days in advance. Join the loyalty program. Price your next round could be free. And on a spectacular summer day like today, Hit up that patio overlooking the course, beautiful view onto the city, and get yourself a nibble or a cocktail. Get all the details to golfnorthlands.com. Harrison Price from Wall Center. Today's Bodog poll question we're asking you, and we'll put it to Frank Corrado here in a second. Are you okay with the Canucks surrendering assets to trade up number 11 in next week's draft? Yes or no, you can vote at Sir Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. And Bodog line of the day for me, I'm loving these hockey specials at Bodog. Connor Hellebuck, where will he play his first game next season? You wanted to bet the Buffalo Sabres? They're five to one. You want to bet the New Jersey Devils? They're five to one on your Bodog line of the day. More smoke coming out of Winnipeg about big changes afoot. Here he is, former Vancouver Canucks TSN hockey analyst, the one and only Mr. Frank Corrado. How we doing, Frankie?
4: I'm good. How you guys doing?
0: Great. I mean, off season at hand here, draft at hand, free agency at hand. This is what we're. This is what we wait for between April each and every Canucks season, you know, the Canucks finish playing <laughs> and then everybody starts pointing the draft and free agency. So this is our time of year here on the West coast.
4: Yeah. yeah it's time. You know what? It's time to get things going. And like, it's been a long while until like, since things were actually relevant for the Canucks, like they were out of the playoff picture and the playoffs went by and now it's like, okay, how's this team going to shape up next year? There's been some moves that have happened that, maybe copyable by surprise. I'm sure they've been welcome moves, but it's, uh, it's going to heat up for the Canucks here in the next little while.
0: And before we get to the big changes, including the OEL buyout, let's just start with a Bodog poll question. You cover CHL hockey for TSN. You know a lot of the players, particularly in the early part of this first round. What do you think? Do you think there's a case for the Canucks to want to move up in this draft? And who do you think they would want to move up for? from number 11. yeah i
4: I think there's definitely a case for them wanting to move up. I will say that like you need to have something that the team moving down really wants from you, and the Canucks are in a place where they have some assets that are maybe not as desirable. They have some money that they need to get off the books. It, which would be more of a priority than than trying to give away good assets to move up in the draft? But I mean, if if, if you move up, you're probably looking at one of those American players, right? Like that are really highly talented. Like there's that American line with like Leonard Smith and uh, I can't remember who else is on that line right now. But it's like you know those are the kind of players you're looking for. Like Mitchkov, I just saw Bob McKenzie had Mitchkov at five on his rankings. Like. There's so much noise around him and when he's going to be able to come over. I, I Listen, I don't have a problem if they were going to move up and, and try and make a splash that way. But at 11, you're going to get a very good player. It's a deep draft, and I think going further into the first round, I think you're going to see a lot of good players that end up playing meaningful NHL minutes down the road. What are the yeah. chances,
1: do you think, guys, that there's a Pavel Burry-like element to the Mishkov trade? Nobody like, thought that Pavel Burry was eligible to be drafted. What are the chances somebody drafts Mishkov? And they get him here before twenty twenty six. Is that just off the table? You know, do you think anybody's done any work behind the scenes here to make that happen?
4: I actually don't know. Like, I I, I know you can get out of KHL contracts, but it is it is quite difficult. Yeah. Like, I got out of my contract basically because I said, "Listen, I'm I'm hurt. I'm not coming back there to play. It doesn't make sense." So. Basically, what we did was, you know, I basically fired myself. I didn't have to buy myself out. There's been players that have had to buy themselves out of their deals, which is very expensive, and you don't want to end up doing that. But if you could just have a clean split, clean breakup, that's great. I doubt Mitch Goff is one of those guys. Like, I think they want to keep him there as long as they possibly can, not to mention the team that he's under contract with. I believe it's St. Petersburg, Like that's a team that wants to win every single year. And I think there's big financial rewards for the organization and the team if they do win. So it would be very, very complex. I remember one year we were out in Penticton and there was this little Russian guy playing for the Oilers. Uh, His last name started with a T. They wanted to sign him to, to an NHL deal and then they realized he wasn't eligible so he had to go back to Russia and then the LA Kings ended up signing him years later i think it was Ka- takchev something T- like T- that Kachev. something like yeah that. i remember yeah.
0: him yep yeah.
4: yeah yeah so there's there's weird things that like you know i think the oilers signed him put pen to paper and, and they were like no actually like this guy's actually not eligible so stranger things have happened yeah
0: I'm um, just going back it's Gabe Perot is the third member of that USA line with Will Smith right. who Bob McKenzie has number four overall Ryan Leonard who McKenzie has six overall he's got Perot at 10 and then there's the American centerman Oliver Moore at at 13 who knows we've had a lot of talk about McGillney here in the last 24 48 hours Maybe Mitch Koff can slip out of Russia, defection. old school Alex yeah. McGillney, <laughs> defection style. Uh, our first chance to talk to you, Frankie, since the OEL buyout. What are your thoughts on that?
4: Surprised. I'm surprised that they, they actually did it. But I guess they, I would imagine they tested the market enough to see if there was a trade and that wasn't going to happen. And it, it is uncharacteristic of the, the Canucks and the organization there to pay players to not play for them. But this is where they are. Like OEL was not going to give them the value of what that contract was worth. And maybe at $2 million, he's, he's a, a better player and, and fits a need for a team that way. It never really made sense in the first place, bringing that player on and having him, uh, you know, at that point in his career. And, and the crazy thing was like the players they traded, they were about to get under those contracts like they were they were so close to the finish line on those contracts and then they they took on more bad money it it never made sense it was so short-sighted for where the team was and it just kind of goes to show you that that fallacy it's like oh you just you just got to get in and maybe you have a chance to win, well, like, no, it's it's not true. You have to actually be good. Um, listen, Oliver ekman Larson has had a lot of injury trouble over the course of his career. That hasn't helped things, so, you know, for him, hopefully he stays healthy. He can find a spot somewhere making $2 million and uh, provide value to the team that way, but the Canucks needed to clear some money. They are able to digest this and swallow it. Now they have some money to spend, and, they're going to have to spend it on the back end because, as much as Oliver Ekman-Larsson didn't maybe live up to the contract value, he's an NHL defenseman and he logged a lot of minutes for that team. and And maybe there's an upgrade to be had, and there really has to be because you know that that's still, regardless of what you think of the player and what he was in Vancouver, that's going to be a pretty large void that they need to fill. What do you spend
1: on Oliver ekman Larson if you're an acquiring team right now? What What are you willing to to What, what is his NHL value right now?
4: I really think it's whatever's gonna make him whole on his contract. I think when these guys get bought out, they're just looking at it like, okay, like what's gonna make me get to my dollar amount that I was making before. So it's you know, like it's gonna cost the Canucks two something on the cap right now. Like I think that's he's in and around that two million dollar range just to just to make sure that he's whole after and I think at two million dollars, like you look at some of the guys like Ilya Lebushkin last year signed for two point seven. As, as a free agent, Eric Branson signed for four million. Like these are some, if these are some of the numbers that are getting thrown around for D-men in the league, I would happily have Oliver ekman Larson on my team at two million $2 million dollars. Play him on the third pair, maybe get him some power play minutes. I think that would be good value for a player like that. Hey, he
0: had thirty million left. He's going to get twenty million of it, so he's got to make ten more million over the course of his NHL career to be whole. Uh, and there's That's a-, a big ask. Well, it's a big ass, but, I mean, he's still young. That's the one thing we forget is there are so many miles on the body. This isn't like a 35-year-old guy uh, completely in the twilight, even if the twilight hit a little early for him. Um, before we leave the Vancouver Canucks and defense, I thought there was a really interesting comment yesterday from Patrick Alvin when discussing Tyler Myers, who he acknowledged he thinks he will be here um, this season, he talked about how Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar were working with Myers for, quote, a better understanding of where the puck was going to go. Frankie, talk defense to me. Please translate that for us. A guy's got 918 games, and he's being worked with on where the puck was going to go.
4: Yeah, no kidding. Like I wish, I wish a lot of guys, myself included, just got spoon-fed like that, like, here's where the puck's going to go here. Here's where, like, the first thing I wonder is what were all the other coaches right. doing, Yeah, right? Like, how how did you not grasp that along the way? Especially not so much when he was a veteran guy in Vancouver, but, like, a younger guy. Like, how do you not work with that guy early on in his career to establish that? But what Alvin is, I think, saying when he says that is, like, we need this guy to play a little smarter, Like, you know, like, that's, that's how I get it. It's like, here, man, like, just think a little bit, use your hockey sense, and puck's probably going to go here. You can maybe cut down your skating a little bit because the puck is going to come to you. One thing, like, coaches used to say to me, and and actually Babcock said this a lot, and it is true, in the NHL as a D-man, The puck just seems to funnel to you a lot of times. And there's certain spots you can kind of like hang out on the ice. Like I wasn't very good at this because I was always one of those guys that was like over eager to like get into a battle and be like always wanted to be super assertive. And that kind of hurt me. But where I saw the guys really excel, like the guys that really established themselves and played minutes upon minutes, year after year, it was like they were very efficient in in how they kind of thought the game. I would imagine that's what they're trying to, to, to do with him. It's like the old saying, let the game come to you, right? Like the puck's always going to funnel to the net. I, I think those are things that he probably needs to get in his game a little bit more. I actually think Sergey Gonchar would be a really good influence in that way. Like, so I, I actually had the opportunity to play for Sergey when he was with the Penguins. And a lot of the times, if I was, you know, working after practice um, as a healthy scratch, I'd stay on with Gonchar. And, like, I'd be going really hard, doing these drills, skating like crazy. And then he kind of look at me, and goes, no, no, no. He goes, here's your path. They're going to skate right into you. And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. In my head, it didn't make sense because I'm like, wait, man, like, I need to work way harder than this. I need to just work really hard. And, he's, and I was like, Gunch, you were like big points guy and this and that he's like no but trust me he goes you don't have to be like a big points guy a big you know um offensive guy or or one dimensional kind of guy you just need to understand that like you put yourself in certain positions and guys are skating into you and yet now you have a little more juice to go the other way and actually play off and so I I think that's probably what Gonchar is trying to instill in him I don't think it's one of these things that like Tyler Myers is dumb. He's obviously not dumb. He's played over 900 games in the NHL. There's a certain level of an intelligence that comes with that, but it's more just like thinking the game efficiently, and I think Gonchar will be able to help with that. The Nick, Nick
1: Lidstrom model, just being efficient. Um, is it possible that, and I'm not saying this is definite, but is it possible that a guy like Tyler Myers that has such great physical attributes that were given to him in, in terms of his own size, he was a great skater, which I'm sure he worked on uh, early in his life, that that maybe coaches never overcoached that guy because they just saw him hold so many great tools but didn't yeah. really necessarily give him the toolbox a ton over the years?
4: Well, I, you can relate it this way, and I think that's a great point. Like, relate it to the kid that hits puberty before everyone else, right? And he's just bigger, faster, stronger, and doesn't really have to think very much because he just knows he's going to drop his shoulder, he's going to lean on you, and, and the other 12-year-olds can't do a thing. Fast forward a few years, and that kid now everyone's caught up to him. Everyone's the same size. Everyone, you know, has the same kind of speed. And you're like, where did that kid go? Like, you know, he kind of got lost in the shuffle. Well, for too long, he was relying on his tools. And for Tyler Myers, he's massive. He uses a stick that's 14 feet tall. He's got a massive wingspan. So he, he has been able to rely on those things for a long time in his career. And when that starts to go, like if the foot speed starts to go a little bit and the game is speeding up, like I'm watching some of these crafty, young guys now, like a guy like Jesper Bratt, like that guy is so elusive, so evasive, so hard. Like Jack Hughes is another guy, right? Like you're playing against these kind of guys now that are so slippery, able to get under your stick, get off checks. It's like, okay, now you you need to start adapting a little bit and think the game a little more than maybe you have, because you can't just rely on, well, I'm, I'm massive and now I'm going to corner this guy and I got him and I'm going to pin him against the wall. Guess what? Now these guys that you're trying to pin against the wall they're slippery, man. They slip it right through your skates and they're gone and they're they're the other way. So things have changed, and players ultimately do need to adapt based on the conditions that are that are changing.
0: I was that twelve-year-old. Yeah.
4: Were you and yeah. at you, now. And things, at hurt you now. Then yeah. things. I was I was the late bloomer. Uh-huh. I got cut. I got cut in minor bantam from a team, and I was so weak, and I like I would make these like like fluttery passes that wouldn't even make it to your stick. You Frank
1: Corrado, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
4: I was like, I was barely hanging on in AAA, and then uh, from like my bantam year to my minor midget year, I started training and working out, and I went to like training camp, preseason tournament, and minor midget, and I was like, I'm actually fast now. Like, mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. here? Like, you know, <laughs> it just happened over one summer, and I'm like, hockey's fun again. It's funny. This is great. I
0: I did not train. And at 13, all the kids had caught up, if not bypassed me. The struggle was real from that point (laughs) forward. Um, Another interesting comment from Alvin yesterday, Frankie, talking about Besser being at an age where he has to understand that things about his summer have to change. What can you tell me about that? Like, do you get to an age in the NHL where you go, okay, I can't rely on my talent just anymore. I have to make concerted efforts to work harder in the summer. You tell me.
4: For sure. I could never rely on my talent because I just didn't have enough of it. But what I did try and do was just work really hard and... For me, it was almost to a fault. Like I almost like would get like stressed out if I ever had to miss a workout or miss a skate or if I was under the weather. It was like I had to force myself to be at every single thing. And maybe that's not like the way to be either. But I will say when you hear comments like that, Usually for veteran players, I've found, like the guys that I've trained with, it goes the other way, where they, they they are like working so hard as young guys, 20, 21, 22, like they're lifting a ton of weight, they're running like crazy, they're they're pushing massive numbers on the bike, and then as time goes on, they establish themselves in the league, and then it turns into more of a maintenance game, then it's all, you know, guys start getting in. Yeah, I got to stay flexible. I got to make sure I'm, you know, pliable. I'm doing more plyometrics this time around. Maybe I'm doing some yoga, some Pilates. I'm still lifting a little bit, but not the way I was back when I was younger. That's the way it usually goes. When I hear those kind of comments, the first thing that comes to mind for me is is what's your your lifestyle like in the summer? So is it like, do you wake up in the morning and first thing you do is have a quick bre- breakfast, go to the gym, go have a skate? and then your day is done at like 2 p.m., and then you're recovering for the next day. Like, I'm not saying you can't have fun. It's, it's the summer. It's the time to have fun. But what I am saying, it's like, you need that kind of like consistency and that kind of regimen where it's like, every day, this is what I'm doing. That's my main event. Everything else is after that. So it's, you hear comments like that, and you kind of think, okay, like there's there's just something that needs to happen. I don't know if it's within the training or if it's like the, the on-ice stuff, or or maybe how you're compounding the two together. But And I don't want to go there, but it just sounds like it needs to be more of like a rigid mm. kind of structure when, when you hear comments like that.
1: Finally, there's the case of Ethan Baer for the Vancouver Canucks, who goes to the Worlds, gets injured, has no contract as an RFA player, and he was merely fine last year as a Vancouver Canuck. He was probably destined to come back. They spent capital to get him. So they probably wanted to see him again, but now they have some leverage. Um, what do you think happens with Ethan Bear? What, what's the number, and how uncomfortable would that be for a player? You want a, you want to be attached to a team right now. You, you want their resources in your rehabilitation, um, but you're a free agent. I mean, this, this can't be a, a fun place to be for Ethan Bear.
4: I fully expect them to squeeze him. Like I really do. I think they're going to squeeze them as much as they possibly can. I actually don't know the number. I haven't dug into what the AAV could be for next year. QO and is it's two point two, harder. by the
1: way. QO is two point two.
4: So it's two point two. So I mean, listen, like they're they're going to try and squeeze them as much as they possibly can. And there's going to be there's a few players around the league that are in that kind of realm where it's like, okay, you you've been hurt a lot in years past. Maybe you're going to have a, uh, a delayed start to the regular season, like. I actually had a similar situation where I tore my ACL and I wasn't going to be able to play until November. And I remember getting some phone calls and, you know, my agent was like, why don't you talk to the AGM, explain what's going on. And uh, I was like, you know, here's the situation. And it, it went from, hey, we're very interested in you, but we're, you know, we're not going to sign you now if you're going to be available in November. We're going to sign our guys and, and you know, we'll reach out down the road and we'll see where we're at. You know he, he's an NHL player. He can serve a purpose. I, I think he played well in Edmonton. I think he played well in Carolina. Vancouver was not a great defensive team last year, so it's hard to put a lot of stock into that. Especially the, you know, when you have the breakdowns that you have. I do think Ethan Bear is a good player, and I would imagine for the Canucks, a team that I don't want to say is desperate but needs defensemen like nhl caliber defenseman, who can move the puck with some kind of flair have some kind of ups, offensive upside can play some some defensive minutes it's probably worth it for them to have that guy sign let him rehab with the team and it ultimately will be up to the player to say okay i'm going to swallow this it's going to suck it's not how much money i think i should make or, or uh, deserve to make but then you move on from there it happens it sucks that it happens but it's kind of the way it goes
0: Lastly, Frankie, I mean, we could put 12 names on the list easily. The trade market seems so flush with defensemen, and most of them would be bona fide top fours. Some would be fringy top fours. I mean, Carlson, Hannafin, Pesci, Pareko, Falk, Grislyk, Peek, Gerrard, uh, Forbert, on and on it goes. Is there a defenseman out there on the trade market that you think suits the Vancouver Canucks or you think the Canucks should target
4: I don't like I haven't really been looking at the trade market for them because they're going to have to make a move and like there's a lot of moving parts with that. I do expect there to be a lot of trades this time around. I've kind of been looking at the UFA market and and what I what I kind of see is maybe there's a couple players that need to prove something and they can do that in Vancouver this year. And and the two players that come to mind is Matt Dumba who's coming off 6 million dollars. He had a down year last year. At one point, he was healthy scratch. Not normal for a $6 million player. Now I start to wonder, okay, it's not a great UFA class as far as D-man goes. So maybe he is in high demand. But maybe it turn, turns into one of those things where Dumba looks at it and says, okay, if I'm not going to get my number at six, do I want to attach term to a lesser number or do I want to just take one year at a lesser number? and really try and catapult myself so I can get back to 6 at 4 years something like that. Like you'd be betting on yourself, it would be risky especially when you do have term attached, but maybe that's maybe that's a situation that presents itself. And why wouldn't you say okay, like there's an opportunity for you here to play with Quinn Hughes. We have some good offensive pieces. You're going to have a really good goaltender behind you rick talkett like a lot of players really like playing for rick talkett like i can see the sales pitch there who did, who
1: did that last offseason was it Gallen, uh, Klingberg. Klingberg Klingberg, uh, that's Klingberg. The, that's although the he got a lot of money guy. so
4: Klingberg, Klingberg did it last year mm. and it didn't work no. out well for him because and because he couldn't get but he couldn't get the long term w- attached with a lot of money like it wasn't there for him so he took one year at seven million go to anaheim it was an disaster disaster in in Anaheim. And now I wonder for him, okay, he tried that he rolled the dice. He had a bad year, be pouted all year in Anaheim. What's he going to get now? Like, he's got to be looking at a one year deal. I don't know. It's definitely not 7 million anymore. Is it four, four and a half? Like, like that's, so there's, there's some players there that maybe, I don't know want to call it a flyer, but there's Mm -hmm. players with something to prove and there's players. they, They can both move the puck pretty well. Dumba is a punishing hitter who can play in your top four. Klangberg probably needs to be sheltered a little bit. And I'm not saying these are home run solutions for the Canucks, but what they are is they're they're viable options that aren't yeah. going to cost you anything in a trade.
0: Great stuff. Hey, Frankie, we are uh, less than a week away from the draft, and you'll be joining us next Thursday uh, after we get through rounds two through seven. And uh, with some insight, let's hope, on some of the CHL players that the Canucks have selected. Awesome. Thanks for this. Thanks. So Carson Price from Wall Center. Hashtags are the best and worst of Twitter. They're brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.Mortgage. And when you contact Jason you're actually contacting Jason personally. There's no middleman here, no staffer taking your call, responding to your email. Jason himself with the best advice on mortgages. Get that personal touch from an expert that works for you and not the bank. Find him at Jason.Mortgage. Well, after the Hall of Fame announcement last night, Blake, we got some insight as to why the exclusion of Alex Mogilene, and maybe to a lesser extent, Sergei Gonchar, here's Rob Rossi at a Pittsburgh, at real underscore Rob Rossi. Person I spoke with last night said not to expect Russian candidates to gain entry into the Hockey Hall of Fame anytime soon, given global politics. Said the already high bar for Russian players to gain entry is higher because, quote, it's easier not to put in Russians right now. Uh
1: and I hear that, except that he did go on to explain that this is not an insider into the process. This was just an ex-player that he was just picking the brain of. Gotcha. Um, that doesn't also account for all the numerous years that have already passed where mm-hmm. Alex McGinley hasn't gotten into the playoffs, and there was no war in Ukraine.
0: Yes, into the hall, so, yes. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I find odd here is this is where hockey draws the line? <laughs> like, yeah. o- Ovechkin was Putin in the avatar, Fine, but oh, Hall of Fame time. Sorry, not until your country behaves a little better, internationally yeah. speaking.
1: I mean, I, I, I just wonder if it's the fact that he was just such an aloof guy. Honestly, I, I yeah, you know, I just wonder if it was just he was a little bit quirky. And I wonder if the guys that put at them were like, eh, I didn't really uh, regard him. you know, like he was just kind of there and went about his business and then went home and that
0: that started to change in the New Jersey, Toronto era later in his career. Um, he came out of his shell a little bit more. I think he was a little bit more um, uh, well,
1: wiser. Yeah.
0: yeah, wiser and w- willing to speak from uh, ex- speak from experience. Uh, you know the great story that was retold again yesterday when Mike Keenan is yelling at him, and he looked at him and said, <laughs> Mike, I defected. It threatened yeah. my family. You think you're scaring me?
1: That was an unbelievable uh, one.
0: Yeah. He's uh anyways, um the candidacy goes on. He is ultimately gonna get in, and Blake, based on my reading of it yesterday, and you know, who knows, uh, all our timelines are sort of curated to our own taste to some degree, but I think there's gonna be a pretty big celebration when he does get in.
1: Uh I I think so. Um hey, you know, this might have something to do with it. At Big Head Hockey. The 1997 98 Vancouver Canucks had Pavel Bure, Marc Messier, Alex McGilney, Marcus Naslin, Matthias Oland, Jurke Lume, Trevor Linden, Kirk McLean, Gino Ojik, and Adriana Coyne. The record was 25 wins, 43 losses and 14 ties. That's
0: astonishing.
1: Maybe the worst team chemistry in league history. I saw that and I you know you yeah. I think I've had this realization before and we've certainly done this with regards to the Keenan era um, in Vancouver. Um freakishly bad. And and I say freakishly in the fact that it could have been a lot better. Like I don't know that that's a cup contender
0: necessarily, but that's a playoff oh, team. Oh, please. Yes. Yeah. Every day, all day. Yeah. And, like, some of those guys are in different phases of those of their careers. Like, Oland and Naslin are not what Oland and Naslin wind up being. And perhaps, you know, Messier and, and some others on that list are, are a little long in the tooth. But, no, spot on. You read those names. There's no way that's a 25-win 25, 25 wins. At Can ball Canada basketball, also in the Hall of Fame game yesterday, pleased to announce that Rowan Barrett, Don Klein, Joey Johnson, Allison Lang, Liz Silcott, Tammy sutton Brown. And Greg Wilcher will be inducted in the Canadian Basketball Hall of Fame Class 2023. Silcott was a big star at UBC, so congratulations to her. And we, uh, Greg Wilcher, we got to know a little bit. Um, good friends with our buddy Howard Kelsey, former national team member. And, of course, Howard runs the Alumni Association for Canada Basketball. And Greg's son, Kyle, was a darn good player at Gonzaga and at Kentucky. had a cup of coffee in the NBA before playing internationally so congratulations to all the um uh to all the electees for the canada basketball hall of fame
1: while well, the uh as we talked about a little bit yesterday um it's not going away like they might need to find new digs at the canadian basketball hall of fame because there's going to be more and more players yes. that are eligible for this going forward you know mm-hmm. this is uh this is a, a banner era a golden generation of, mm-hmm. of nba players and and uh, gosh, the the threshold of what it takes to get into that Hall of Fame is going to be changing big time.
0: The good news, Blake, I don't believe there is an actual physical Hall. I think it's online, and I know you can go to nbtaa.com to read about Canada's history and alumni in basketball.
1: Well, time to get a bigger server then? Time, <laughs> yes. Something All that hour, no. <laughs> yes,
0: exactly. We're going to need a bigger server. Yeah. Although I'm not sure there's much we could organize for him and uh, his group that runs Kids Fest. They're pretty spot on.
1: At Neil M. Davidson, Canadian women want agreement on World Cup participation sorted before leaving. It uh, it stopped short of a full-on threat, Matt, of... Sign the CBA, or we're not yeah. going to the World Cup. But just short, just short of that, yep. they're, they are. They certainly have that in their back pocket, the Canadian women, and they know that. And they're um, they're not
0: they're not doing that. Like that's hollow yeah. threat.
1: I mean, you would think.
0: Um, you, you think Christine think? Sinclair is going to miss her last World Cup because of a financial dispute with Canada Soccer? No, I just no.
1: But they've got no CBA, man they don't even know the terms then they're going to participate in a tournament that they don't know the terms of the collective bargaining agreement i i i i, uh, I hear you this is their be all and end all mm-hmm. but they also they also don't work for free so you know they, they there needs to be something agreed upon doesn't there
0: oh absolutely i i just don't believe that the players are ready to hit the nuclear button here and not go i mean think think of that headline blake canada a contender at the FIFA World Cup, remember, yeah. defending Olympic champions, uh, decides to boycott because of a dispute with their national federation. There's just no way.
1: Well, we 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 do know what the headline looks like because uh, a fellow reporter actually uh, skimmed the article, I guess, and 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 did write that headline <laughs> and gave the credit to Neil Davidson, but uh-huh. um, but sort of misread uh, what was going on. Oh, really? And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I may call up a follow an apology follow and but, uh, yeah.
0: The, the losers here are the long-suffering Canadian soccer fans. And on the women's side, there's actually been a lot of success over the last 10 years going back to London in the 2012 games. But this would be a second consecutive World Cup that is somewhat marred and where Canada can't do its best because of these off-pitch pursuits. Well, just, the second straight tournament, too, even that She Believes Cup, which is right. a, a World Cup tune-up, they were not
1: themselves. They were completely distracted by what was going on, right. and it completely affected their on-field performance. So yeah. let's hope that doesn't happen again.
0: And then there's this, and this is typically a list that allows Vancouver to puff out its chest. At Spectator Index, the world's most livable cities, mm. 2023, as put together by the Economist Intelligence unit. Vancouver is once again in the top 10, Blake. Any guesses at where we rank? Fourth. Very close. We are fifth. Two places ahead of Calgary, four places ahead of Toronto. Who do you think is in the top five? Two European cities and uh, two cities in the same country. Um, is there two Swiss cities? Believe it or not, the Swiss cities don't rank until Zurich at number six, ah. Geneva at number eight, but Copenhagen. always a good guess on the livability. <laughs> Copenhagen. <laughs> Copenhagen is number two. Very good, Blake. Thank you. Uh, Stockholm. Stockholm, not in the top not 10. There. Yeah. Yeah. Um, livability, uh, Two of them are coastal towns on a very big island. Coastal? Uh, you, you
1: were still in Europe here? No, those are, these are the other oh. two. Oh, okay. Um, these are Australian cities then. Indeed. Um, God, my Australian
0: geography. This is one. loop. <laughs> this is one gap. In and, my, and, and I may, uh, I may actually be. Um, uh, one of them, I actually think, is not. Coastal. Let me take that. Yeah, no, it's coastal. I'll go Sydney and Melbourne. Very good. Sydney and Melbourne check in at number three and number four, respectively. And number one, Vienna, Austria. Wow, yeah. Which has repeated here as the number one most livable city. And the uh, panelists credited Vienna, with a winning combination of stability, good culture and entertainment, reliable infrastructure. Oh, if we only had reliable infrastructure here in Vancouver, we'd go shooting up that list. And then exemplary education and health services. So it's the city where you want to get sick, where you want to get learned. You're going to be able mm-hmm. to get around town you can experience the culture and entertainment. Plus, it has that stability. Congratulations, Vienna. And that's hashtags for today. Rob Williams is the National Sports editor of the Daily Hive, and it's Sports Vertical Offside. He joins us on Thursdays. We have plenty to discuss, my friend, but I see you've already answered our Bodog poll question. The Canucks surrendering assets to trade up from number 11, as Patrick Alvin suggested yeah, yesterday. Yeah, as I replied,
5: what uh, the, the number 11 pick, uh, Raymond, Ballard, the rights to Lee Frohling. Like, What assets do they have to move up in the draft? <laughs> like, come on. Hey. Like, Danila Klimovich? Like, is that going to get If we're to-
0: trading Lee... If we're trading Leaf in Vancouver, that's a big gap on the humor side of our operation. We're going to need to fill that gap in free agency if we're trading Leaf.
5: Yeah, I just I I like what assets. Like this this team is uh, there's there's not much in the in the cupboard. I don't see what their what they're trade, you know, they had to buy out OEL just to clear cap space. They've got all these players that are untradeable. Like I just don't see uh what they're planning to trade to move up in the draft like it just seems uh, you know that most of the t- to me know.
1: it was just the to me it was just a slogan of hey we're we're doing things we're trying out yeah. here you know it, we're, we're making things happen to me that's all the that that
0: uh, i think it was also a little bit of smokescreen uh you know oh teams that want to move up to number 11 well we're interested to move into the top 10 just so you know so the price is going to be high here
5: yeah i mean i i think it's we do, we do this at the draft every year, right? Every team's talking about moving up, moving down, making all these moves. And most teams kind of stand pat. I know the Canucks have, have moved picks a lot recently. But, yeah, most of the time I would say this is a smokescreen. I would, I would anticipate that this is a smokescreen as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, they trade out of picks. They don't tend to trade up or, or down from picks all that much. Um, on the ongoing arena beat, Rob... no scoreboard at Rogers arena
5: scoreboard is gone. Uh, I asked the Canucks, they, they did not want to comment on where their scoreboard is. Hopefully they know where it went. Um, but yeah, it's another, hopefully they don't, (laughs) hopefully they threw it
1: out, Rob. That's the, that's the most important thing.
5: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think this is, this is kind of funny. The, uh, I'm getting a bit of a kick of the, uh, the renovations that are seem to be top secret this, this summer. Um, it just kind of makes me want to know more though. I, I think it's kind of a, a blessing in disguise that they're not uh, giving us all the information here. It gives me lots to, uh, to chew on. But uh, as uh, you know, Patrick Johnson uh, has been following this for, for months that the saying that the, the team is, looks like they'll be getting a new scoreboard. And I think this is now the visual evidence that uh, you know, I think there's very good reason to expect a uh, brand new scoreboard, which of course the one they had was, uh, you know, has been in place for approximately 15 years, and and was one of the oldest ones in in the National Hockey League. So expect something uh, bigger and fancier, I think, for next season.
0: I
1: heard. What did uh, they expect would happen with all these concerts and tours through there every? Like, what did
5: uh, they honestly didn't want to comment on
1: any of these renovations, and yet people are in that building all through the summer like what did yeah. they
5: expect we also saw more black seats from the from the image that uh, that was posted on on yeah. uh, on twitter uh we also saw that the ring beam is, is now being taken off of course the ring beam you know came into play when when they brought in the new scoreboard uh, the last you time you talking about
1: uh, like in the stands or at the top of the glass you mean
5: no the one the yeah the one in the stands like in front of the yeah, in front right, of the front row yeah. of the uh, the upper yeah. bowl um where uh, <laughs> where sometimes you see uh Daily Hives logo at games.
0: That's right. right. <laughs> uh, you see the Carson Price one at uh, BC Place for Lions games, and uh, not at Rogers. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> and Blake, just you know, blink one eighty two is in there on Tuesday. So long as all the small things are there, they don't need the big things like the uh, scoreboard. Yes. Such a dad joke. Honestly. <laughs> I, speaking of this. Uh, Scoreboard scoop. I hear you and PJ were in a spat about this on Twitter yesterday and, and Grady tells me somehow we got roped in.
5: <laughs> no, I think somebody else tried to say, "Oh, like like they they oh. they, they threw a they threw a PJ article at me and I and oh. no, PJ, PJ was, I, I gave credit to him in the article. I did mention that. Oh, okay. The fight, the
1: fight is with Wyatt art That's the fight that's happening. Oh, there's right, always right? a fight. Wyatt and game.
5: I have been going at it for like the last like day about Alex McGilney. And truth be told, we've been kind of spatting about this uh, for the last few years where I actually don't think that, like I would have put like this year, I, th- I thought this was the year that McGilney gets in and I would have put him in. But I don't think it's an outrage that he didn't get in. I'm looking at Pierre Turgeon's numbers and I'm going, okay, he outscored him during his career. He Mm -hmm. has similar points per game averages, which is the big thing for McGilney. Turgeon was a better playoff performer than McGilney. There were teammates and Turgeon would outscore him. The year McGillney scored 76 goals that everyone uh, talks about, Turgeon scored more points than him that year, scored over 130 points. He was a fantastic player. I know. No, pe- I don't think. Yeah.
1: I, but it's not about him and him versus him. There's four slots. That's not the slot people want removed. How about Tom Barrasso, <laughs> who I, I had, and this was a great. He's ta- He's Kelly Rudy with rings. Um, this mm-hmm. it's not a Hall of Fame player.
5: Yeah. See, I mean, goaltenders. I, 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 I'm not sure on goal. I mean, the guy that I think is the. I've said this for years. The guy that I think is the biggest omission. I was shocked that. With the amount of goalies that went in, that he didn't get in is Curtis Joseph. To me, that he's one of the top goalies of his generation. He was, uh, you know, no Stanley Cup, but like, what team was he supposed to win a Stanley Cup with? Like, he did not play behind many great teams. Uh, the Leafs
0: later in his career, that was a very good Leaf team he played with, and they didn't make it uh, past the conference final. But I hear you, Rob, but fair Le- enough. I mean, the Lewis, St. Louis yeah. and Toronto and Edmonton teams were probably not of that class.
5: Like, who was on Matt Sundin's line? Like, like Barazin and Jonas or Jonas <laughs> Hoagland, Hoagland
0: and Alex McGillney, actually, uh, <laughs> at different times. Michael Renberg as well.
5: Yeah, so, um, to, and then to,
0: of course he went to Detroit too. They were a pretty good team.
5: He had he had a quick run in Detroit, and that was his chance to win the Stanley Cup. And he mm-hmm. didn't do it there. Um, you know, he didn't win the international gold, but he was regularly picked for Team Canada as being one of their goalies. Sometimes as the starter, sometimes as the backup, and that's when Canada dominated goaltenders in the NHL, and Cujo was one of the top goalies for a very long time. Uh, he's just behind only, he's just behind Henrik Lundqvist in all time wins, seventh all time in, in wins. Like how, how is Cujo not, and I don't get that other than he doesn't have the Stanley Cups. Um, and that's the thing too with McGilney, like McGilney with the, everyone keeps talking about his Stanley cup. Like he scored like seven points on, like he was like 10th in scoring on New Jersey the year they won the cup. Won, it's not like he... Put the devils on his back to win the Stanley Cup. He won a world championship and didn't and didn't score a single goal during the World Championships. Not that I put any weight into the World Championships either. He won an Olympic gold when the Soviets had professionals against amateurs from Canada. Uh, I would have put McGillney in, but like mm-hmm. this is to me, it's, this is not like an outrage. Like people wanna like, you know, s- storm the hockey hall of fame. Uh, because Alex McGilney didn't get in. To me, he's with a large group of players that were high scoring wingers in the 80s and 90s. And uh, there's going to be a lot of other guys, Keith Kachuk, you know, and other forwards, Broad Brindamore, Jeremy Roenick, like, is he really like so much higher than all those guys? I know he had the talent. But yeah, I I also saw him score under twenty goals in back to back years and get outscored by Marty Jellan when he was at Canuck. So like <laughs> it wasn't all glory throughout the McGillney's entire career.
0: There's no doubt the consistency was not his calling card. The highs were extremely high, as you say. The lows were particularly low and you have to wonder whose cornflakes Curtis Joseph pissed into, (laughs) uh, to not make the hall of fame and watch three goalies go in for the first time ever, including Vernon and Barrasso, who I'm with you, Rob Kurt Cujo's best was better than Barrasso's best and better than Vernon's best.
5: The one thing I'll say with Barrasso is that, I mean, it's before my time. Like he was, I I remember him in the nineties as, as, you know, an average goalie winning cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, when he was a, Earlier in his career with the, the Buffalo Sabres, like that's when he's got, the, you know, the, the the top things on his resume, and that's before my time. So I I, I will yeah. qualify that with Barrasso. Well,
0: and, and you know, I think Barrasso gets extra credit, and rightfully so. He played in the NHL at 18 years old in goal. Like we talk about getting the big, tall, athletic goaltender, Barrasso was very much a forerunner to that guy. Uh, there's not many guys that can go like from the you know high school ranks of Boston into the NHL and have success like Barrasso did uh, as a uh, very young teenage player. Okay, let's move on because uh, there's big changes afoot with Canucks.com and Canucks content that they'll be ro- rolling out, including some new personalities. Tell us about that.
5: Yeah, they've got a couple of uh, new reporters, uh, so they're going to be uh, you know telling their own story this this next season. Uh, which I think is something you know. Some people roll their eyes at it, of course, right? Like yeah, it's, I just
1: did. I just did. Big like, roll, yeah. You know, <laughs> like this is this
5: is not. Uh, I, I I'm not worried about uh, losing readers on the Daily Hive. Uh, you know, like to to the to the Canucks content, but I think that it, this is something that a lot of other teams uh, do. They they produce a lot of behind the scenes, you know if they do if they if they produce behind the scenes content and give you things that the mainstream media was not going to give you anyways because they wouldn't have ever had the a, that, that kind of access, then I think it's going to be great for fans. And I, and I think that it's something that, that, that is well worth from a team perspective to do. If they try to... Except, if, Rob, yeah. except
1: Rob, except Rob, they, they keep inflating the size of their staff, putting them, putting them in the press box, and then saying, oh, we have no room for outside media. And that's the big problem the, right
5: there. If they try that, I mean... Yeah, not if they no, try oh, that, they oh, try it. They're doing it. It's, it's underway. It's not, if. I'm well aware. But, but yeah. I think it's one of those things where it, the team is always going to need a, a third party. And if they don't realize it, it's going to be their own detriment, they're always going to need a third party media to be telling the story. Because I know, you know, before I was in media, you don't want to be getting your news from the team. You want to like, everyone understands that that's a biased, you know, that's a biased source fans want to be want critique of their team at least they should and i think many do uh so i'm not i'm not worried about it in that respect like like this is this should always be a separate thing from the media because of course this it's not media you know it's their their team employees
0: yep um you got to have both sides of the conversation which typically team media does not all that said uh welcome to town k peterson my former colleague at Grey cup radio who uh has had a terrific career both stateside and here in Canada, in Toronto and Edmonton. And some might remember her late father, Leif Patterson, who was a fantastic player in the Canadian Football League and, frankly, one of the builders of Friday Night Football in the CFL uh, on TSN. We lost Leif. and a big
1: congrats and uh, good luck to uh, Hannah Bernard, the departing yes. uh, in rink reporter Absolutely. who was uh, expecting and uh, didn't think that she was able to. So,
0: uh, congrats to uh, Hannah and, and a very nice lady. Yeah, she sure yeah. is. Perfect. Thank you, Rob Williams. We'll uh, we're gonna miss you next week as the draft and everything being crazy on that second day. But we'll catch up a couple couple weeks down the road.
5: You're gonna miss my hot takes for who they pick in the third round and the fourth round. But oh, Soviet. okay.
0: Well, hey, we'll we'll follow you on Twitter. We'll get your
5: rankings yeah. in order. Yeah, Rob. Exactly. We I want to see your mock drafts. Okay. All the season where we all pretend to be draft experts. Can't wait.
0: Harrison Price from Wall Center. You can text us, 778-402-968. It's to the Great Clips text message inbox, Great Clips. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Also mentioned that Canucks prospect Jacob Truscott, a defenseman with the University of Michigan, has been named the captain of the Wolverines. He's a uh, former American World Junior player, and he's got a chance, too, uh, of being an NHL player here over the next couple of years. Okay, errors and omissions from yesterday's program. And uh, I should know this because I was living in Calgary at the time. But we have a listener who called me out. I said, Vancouver, Montreal, the only two cities that people from outside Canada want to visit. The only two that have hosted Olympics. Of course, Calgary hosted the 88 Olympics. And who's the listener, Grady? That would be Tyler in the inbox. Tyler also in points Grey out Club's to inbox. me that people come far and wide for the Calgary Stoop—I mean Stampede. And that is also... Bodog line of the day. Oh, whoa, whoa,
3: whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, Yerky is getting a little picky with me. Yeah. Uh, we were talking he picks nits. Yeah, that Yerky. borderline here. He was talking about, uh, and I appreciate it, Yerky. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we discussed Tom Barrasso's hardware yesterday and some of the accolades he had, and I I mentioned the word hardware. I then followed up with the Calder. He's saying I should have included that he won the Calder and Vesna in the same season. Yeah, fair enough. Fair as a goalie. I should be ashamed, Yes, but I said hardware, so I will defer to you, Matt and Blake.
0: Well, here's what I will say. Um, Goalies do not go to the box and feel shame, so you're going to have to feel shame (laughs) somewhere other than the box, maybe in the crease.
3: We well, to- I feel a lot of shame when I'm in the crease, yes. Uh, particularly we'll, we'll, when Badara
0: we'll
1: assign- and
3: Crystal
0: are bearing down on you in inline huh?
3: Oh,
1: we'll, I don't we'll, get to we'll play somebody one. else to serve your penalty. T-Mart will go to the box instead, <laughs> and, and that's not fair, fair to T-Mart because he's had been having a good game. So. Oh, he's Absolutely. down
3: bad today with everything, all the news are coming out of Calgary here. Oh, yeah.
0: Bodog Line of the Daytime with Blake Price. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Who you like, what you got?
1: Saturday, uh, the Gold Cup begins for the United States, taking on the Jamaicans. And uh, it's uh, definite, like Canada, a lot of the stars are not playing for the United States. No Pulisic, no McKinney, um, no Reyna. Uh, so, Jamaica, you know, they can rise to the occasion, perhaps. Let's go with an upset, a Jamaican upset. USA basking in their Nations League glory. They get stunned. Mm. By the Reggae Boys. Reggae boys.
0: Boys on your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to follow us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. And please do support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.